Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We know that he was 100% God and he was also 100% God or human. He was someone that could be seen. He was someone that could be heard. He was someone that could be touched. And it is a mystery, isn't it? The incarnation, the fact that this almighty God who ever existed, always existed, even before the foundation of the earth, Jesus existed. He always existed. There was never a time that he wasn't there. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a study in the epistles of the Apostle John. Pastor Rob gives us an introduction of who John was and the things he had witnessed. John writes, that which was from the beginning. The beginning John wrote of is not the beginning of this world, nor is it the beginning of creation. It is the beginning that was before there was anything when the only thing that existed was God. John proclaimed, God is eternal because eternity exists before all else and was the source and basis of the existence of all things. Let's open our Bibles now to 1 John chapter 1 and join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Let's open to the book of 1 John. Uh, This is a letter, actually, and it's John's first letter or epistle as... It is known to be. And let's just read the first four verses. I I don't even know that we're going to get out of verse 1 today. But let's try uh, the first four verses. And let's just read them through. I would encourage you, when you read any of these letters, to read them in their entirety. And read them as often as you can in their entirety. Because you get the context of the whole entire letter. Because that's the way a letter is meant to uh, to be read. When you open up a letter to a family member... You read it from the beginning to the end. You don't read chapter 1 and then put it down and then come back next week and read chapter 2. The chapter divisions are there for us so that we can uh, know where things are located and for ease of moving between verses and chapters. But it was one entire letter. Let's read the first four verses. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. 
So when we look at this letter, you'll notice that unlike Paul's letters, there's no mention of who wrote the letter. Uh, in all of Paul's letters, it says, I, Paul, the apostle, the bondservant, whatever it is. And, and throughout all of John's epistles, in fact, in his gospel and in his letters, his first, second, and third John, there's no mention of John at all in, in, in as far as his name is concerned. He's very much there, especially in the gospels, but his name is not mentioned. But his reputation as an apostle of love, as a great statesman of the faith, was so preceding him that he didn't really need to address this letter. It was understood who it was from, and he had that respect from those folks in Ephesus where he wrote these letters. And this first letter um, is one of those letters. The Apostle John, he, we know that he was the last living apostle as far as we know, and he died of natural causes, unlike the other apostles who died a martyr's death, often a very violent death. And this is the same apostle that wrote the book of Revelation. Remember when there was a time that John was banished to the Isle of Patmos out in the Aegean Sea, and he was there for some time, and he was an old man at that time. And then uh, a new... Roman emperor came on the scene, and he was released at that time, and then he went to Ephesus, and there he was for the remainder of his life. And there's no mention of him dying a martyr's death. In fact, he's the only one who, in the Bible, that's not talked about or is not known through tradition or anything of that matter that, that he died, uh, anything but a natural death, natural death. And it's interesting, John, again, didn't mention himself in his gospel or his three letters. In the book of Revelation, we know that he does. But in the gospel of John, he was often, when he was writing, he would write of himself as being the disciple or that disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And these are the, the terms that John would use to describe himself. He, and, and I love that because if you were writing a gospel, wouldn't you mention a lot about yourself? But John saw fit to not be so concerned about who he was at all because his message was much bigger, it was much greater, much more grand, and it was talking about his Savior, Jesus. That was what John was consumed with. He was known as the Apostle of Love. And for good reason, John was a lover, he was one of those men who loved people, and he was willing to express that love. If you remember, at the Last Supper, he was the one, as they were sitting there at the triclinium, that little short table that they would all recline and, and eat, and they would be next to, and they would recline at that. Being on the ground, they would recline and be next to each other. And John, if you recall, in John chapter 13, it says that he leaned on Jesus' bosom, whom Jesus loved. And it wasn't that Jesus loved John more than any of the other disciples, or any one of us for that matter, but John put himself in that place of being able to be loved. Have you ever been around somebody who's just very difficult to love? Maybe you have a family member that is more likened to a porcupine rather than a soft, cuddly plush toy or a little golden retriever, as we saw recently at the camp and at the Adirondacks. Little puppy, you know. Just easy to pick up and love, but some people are like porcupines. But John was not one of those men. He was willing to be loved by God. And I would encourage you to allow yourself to be loved by God. And the thing that stops us oftentimes is that we, we remember our past. We, we get caught up in the things that we have done in the past. 
And therefore we feel that we're not deserving of God's love. And maybe in your own experience, you may feel that way. I've done this and I've done that. And you've never forgiven yourself. God has forgiven you. And yet you continue to remember and conjure up all of that sin. And you still to this day, even as you sit here, you're like, I doubt God's love for me because of how awful things that I've done. Is that you this morning? Well, I want to encourage you to let it go. Because God loves you. He knows your past. He knows the things that you've done. And he's not going to turn you away, no matter how wretched it is. Some of the most despicable crimes of humanity have been done by men who on their deathbed gave their heart to Christ. And I tell you, they're in glory now. They were forgiven. So don't let your growth in the Lord be stunted. Be like John, the apostle of love, and allow yourself to not only love, but to be loved by God. Be, let him love you first, and then you love as a response to that love. That's always the way it needs to be. And we know that John is also the one who entrusted, whom Jesus, I'm sorry, entrusted the care of his mother Mary. Remember, as he hung there on the cross, it's recorded for us in John chapter 19, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And I don't think Jesus was saying, Woman, look at me. I think he was saying, Woman, behold your son. Look at John. He's going to be your caregiver now. I am the oldest son. It was my responsibility to take care of you. But I'm going. And I'm going to give you and put you in the care of the one whom I trust your life with. This apostle of love. John the apostle. And he says, then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And I imagine he was doing this all with his eyes as he looked at John and said, John, behold your mother. And he looked at Mary. And instantly that connection was made and that John would take her into his own home and care for her for the rest of her days. And if you remember, John is also the brother of James. And don't confuse this James with the book that we just finished a few months ago, the book of James. That's a different James. That's James, Jesus' half-brother. But John had a brother named James as well, and they were both the son of Zebedee, who, were, who was a fisherman. And remember, James and John were fellow workers with their father in that fishing business, and they were called by our Lord early in his ministry along the Galilee, you remember. And Jesus called them because of their zeal, because of their wonderful zeal. He called them Boanerges, which is a, an Aramaic term, which means sons of thunder, because of their zeal and their... their uh, they were little spitfires, and they were very young. John was very young at this time when Jesus called him. And so this letter was written around 90 A.D. 90 A.D. We know that after Jesus' death and resurrection, it was around 33, 32 A.D., somewhere in that area. And so now, some 60 years after the resurrection, 60 years after the day of Pentecost, and we know that the significant event that occurred in 70 AD is when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem. So now we have 20 years after Jerusalem has been destroyed. Now, John, in his old age, he's a frail old man, now living in Ephesus, writing this letter. And he wrote it to the church in general there in Asia Minor. Remember Paul's letters and the, the missionary journeys that Paul went on and all those little different towns, Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica and all these different places. 
And John now is writing them. All the apostles are, have passed from the scene, and he's the last man standing. And he's writing to the church in Asia Minor. And he was writing them for a couple of different reasons, at the very least, to encourage, certainly, their relationship with God, that they can have a true fellowship with God and with God's people. It reminds me of Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, in true unity. Not in a false unity for any reason, but unity under the banner of Christ, under the the teaching of the Word of God. There can be unity when we are born again of the Spirit and when we hold to the Word of God. And so John was certainly writing to encouraging them in this fellowship, in this relationship, and also to encourage them in in what they had already known and heard. Sometimes we need to hear things over again. We need things repeated to us because we're thick-headed. Anybody here thick-headed like me? I need to be reminded. And certainly he was going to warn them concerning the Antichrist. In fact, in this little epistle that we have to look at, I believe it's mentioned five times. Five times in the New Testament. And they're all right here in this one epistle. And certainly to combat false teachers and false doctrine. And the heresy known at the time as Gnosticism. Heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to Christian doctrine. And so the apostles and the the believers, they had heard from the apostles, they had heard from Jesus. But now at this critical time in the first century, going into the second century, there were many false doctrines, many false teachings. And isn't it true that when there is a truth, when there is absolute truth, and we know that the gospel is absolute truth, Jesus is absolute truth. The Word of God is absolute truth. And whenever there is a truth that has the claim of absolute truth, you better believe that every horde of hell is going to come after that. And it's going to seek to discount that and to wrest it away from you and from your heart and from your life. And such was this time. There was a a movement at that time called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to have knowledge. And in in a larger sense, it meant systems of knowledge in opposition to this Christian orthodoxy. And it combined Eastern mysticism, philosophy, and all kinds of different things, all based upon knowledge. And if you think that it's just something that was happening back in those days, believe me, Gnosticism is at its height today. In every college and university, knowledge is being lifted up as some god. And there's nothing wrong with going to college. There's nothing wrong with learning and higher learning. There's nothing wrong with it. Only when it, when it takes you away from the truth. Any good college ought to exalt the word of God. Any good college ought to start as their foundation, the word of God, and let everything boil out from there. Geology and history and all those things, biology, molecular biology, chemistry, all those things come from the beginning. And so even today, Gnosticism is, on the, is, is here, bigger than ever. And even back then, there were different variants of it. You can't nail this this heresy down to just one specific thing. There were many, many things, many tentacles, if you will, from this idea of Gnosticism. Postmodernism, humanism, it all has its basis in Gnosticism. 
And Gnosticism was a secret and mysterious knowledge. It was not acceptable, or not accessible, I'm sorry, to those outside the particular sex, sex, S-E-C-T-S, <laughs> uh, that they belonged to, except by those who were initiated. So if you were in the club to the secret knowledge, you were in, and it was guarded as secret. And like I said, there were different variants of this Gnosticism. But the Gnostics back at this time, they believed that God was pure spirit and totally separate from this evil world, and that the world and all the matter in the world was evil, and therefore God would have nothing to do with it. But we know that that is not true. He very much cares for the subjects that are on the planet. And they believed that Jesus Christ was God, but that he was just a ghost or some kind of phantom and not literally human. Not literally human, they would think. But a ghost or phantom does not carry the physical characteristics that Jesus had. We know that he was 100% God, and he was also 100% God, or human. He was someone that could be seen. He was someone that could be heard. He was someone that could be touched. And it is a mystery, isn't it? The incarnation, the fact that this almighty God who ever existed, always existed, even before the foundation of the earth, Jesus existed. He always existed. There was never a time that he wasn't there. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul would tell them, he said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. There it is. It was already on the rise through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, and that's what Gnosticism is, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, notice, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Miracle of miracles, mystery of mysteries. How in this manger, this little baby boy, as he held, as Mary held him in her arms, can you imagine how nervous she could have been? I'm holding God. Or imagine when he was 12 years old and he stood back, the family went to, or went to the Passover feast and the whole caravan is making their way back to, or to Galilee. Oh my, we lost God. He, he's back in Jerusalem. We've lost God. I wonder if he knows where he is. He knew exactly where he, he was and is. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was all human and he was 100% divine. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So a ghost or a phantom, as they would purport, cannot be nailed to a cross. Have you noticed a ghost being nailed to a cross? Have you noticed a ghost paying the price for sins? Have you, have you seen a ghost bleed? Have you seen a ghost eat? Jesus was not a spirit. He possessed a physical body before and after his resurrection. And a spirit does not have flesh and bone, nor does a ghost eat. In Luke chapter 24, go there with me. We're going to read a passage. Again, one of John's great missions in this epistle is to knock on the doors of Gnosticism, actually blow them down with a large gun. Blow holes in the ship. And we're going to get into it in the coming weeks. But notice what it says in Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. And this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. In fact, it was the very evening of Resurrection Sunday, that very evening. You remember, there were two men walking on the road to Emmaus. In verse 36, it says, Now as they, these two men who were on their way to Emmaus, said these things to the eleven disciples. Because remember, they went to Emmaus. They were on their way there. 
Jesus revealed himself as they broke bread, and they were so excited, and then Jesus just vanished because he had a resurrected body at that time. This was after his resurrection. And they were so excited, they run back to Jerusalem. And they're standing in the room where they all were. For fear of the Jews, they were all there in the room. And as they said these things, Jesus himself, notice, stood in the midst of them. In this resurrected body, Jesus was able to appear and disappear, evidently at will. Notice what he said to them. He said, peace be to you. Verse 37, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit, that, they th- that they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Notice, handle me and see. Notice, underline this, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, and why they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, hey, You guys got anything to eat? You guys got one of those buy one, get one free coupons for Bill Gray's for a cheeseburger? I can eat both of them. I'm pretty hungry. Have you any food here? He says. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Blowing holes in the ship of Gnosticism. Was he a a real man? Yes, he was. He was fully divine, fully man. And see, we have to provide that kind of proof. And I love the Bible because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. It really is. It's the best. To deny that he was a physical being and thus human was and is heresy because the Bible clearly states that he was a physical being, yet fully God. Jesus physically needed to take our place on the cross It was substitutionary atonement. He, in our place, I deserve death. I deserve to be nailed to that cross. But he took the place for me. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to have you go to a few places today, but because of time, I'm just going to read some things to you. But do look at Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Now, for you and I, we know this to be true. We know that Jesus was human. We also know that he was God. But you may have to share that with somebody else because heresies are ignorance. What people don't know about the Bible, they need to know about the Bible. And here's a good verse. Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, this is before his resurrection, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's not only the Jews, but for all of us too. He gives us aid. Therefore, here it is, verse 17, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made in human flesh. He came and he tabernacled himself. It says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation. To make atonement is really what that word means, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. Have you been tempted this week? Do you know that you have a faithful and great high priest on your behalf that you can run to? In this very epistle in chapter 4, 
John says to them, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And this is something we need to do today. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into, out into the world, by this you shall know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.